MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G. Everyone, please welcome activist, comedian, amazing person, Dana Goldberg. Dana, how are you? Oh, Allison, it's good to be back with you. It has been a, it's been, it's been a stressful week. It's a stressful, sad uh, week, but I'm happy to be here with you and uh, to talk more about the insanity that is the man in the White House. Ugh. Yes, we are reviewing chapters eight and chapters nine. These are beefy chapters of Mary Trump's book, uh, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the Most Dangerous Man in the World. And today's episode is heavy. Um, Dana, you're going to be covering chapter eight. It's called Escape Velocity. I'll be going over chapter nine, The Art of the Bailout. Um, and it's there's, you know, a lot. I mean, we're going to go over um, uh, Mary's dad a lot in chapter eight, uh, Freddie Jr. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue on with some of the business stuff um, and, and Donald in chapter nine. It's just a lot. We have a lot to get to. So we might as well. Kick it off with chapter eight. Let's do it. I'm ready to go. All right, everyone. Chapter eight, if you are reading along, and I hope that you are. In fact, I hope you finish the book by now, but this is Escape Velocity. Now, this chapter is filled with all kinds of craziness. Um, it be, it's basically in the beginning, we get to learn just how cheap and tacky Donald and Ivana are, which is fairly... Not surprising. Uh, Mary tells us about a Christmas present from Donald. So this was a gold lame, basically heel that's filled with candy and it's wrapped in cellophane, which we find out is a, a talent apparently of Ivana's. Uh, and clearly, <laughs> clearly, uh, tr- Donald didn't realize that he actually gave Mary this gift because he walked by and he was like, what's that? And Mary's like, uh, it's a gift from you. <laughs> and so Donald goes, oh, nice. Looks nice. And then Mary says, and I quote, he probably thought it was real gold, (laughs) which is this is see, this is what's wonderful. This is where we start to see Mary's very, what I would say, dry and like witty sense of humor come through in the book. And she's sarcastic as hell. And I love it. I'm here for it all day. So you'll start to see more of it now. So this wasn't the first time Mary got a weird gift from Donald and Ivana. In 1977, she tells us about this three-pack of underwear she got and a beautiful leather journal her brother received, which, not surprising that the boy in the family obviously looked like he got the better gift. Uh, But she said that she was very jealous until she realized the journal had... It was two years old. So (laughs) they'd give him a journal that was two years old. And Mary says, at least my underwear wouldn't expire. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's just amazing. I, I feel like if he could, like if if Donald Trump could, he would have bought underwear that expired. Like I feel like if oh, that absolutely. were feasible, it would have been two year old underwear that you can't have anymore. 
Or I'm shocked he didn't re-gift underwear and be like, it, it's pretty it's pretty clean. It's pretty clean. Jesus. Ugh. So we definitely see where Donald gets a pension for cheap gifts in this chapter. Um, like giving, you know, this is the thing. We see this now. I, you know, I see it why he's like giving award-winning sports teams cold hamburgers and acting like they're gold. Like he's like, look at this. Look, look at this. I'm like, there you have 500 cold hamburgers for people that are elite athletes. You're a moron. Anyway. <laughs> you go to the White House expecting a delicious, healthy meal. <laughs> I feel like he's got a spread of McDonald's and Arby's and shit. Uh, he's like, I paid for this myself. I'm like, yeah, they're 29 cents a piece, you jackass. <laughs> all right. God. So Mary goes on to say holidays in the family. Basically, they all just seem to roll together. Christmas, Thanksgiving. Mary does remember, though, Donald would always pull up like in a fancy car. Ivana was always in her furs and silk while everyone else was fairly relatively casually dressed. So then Mary goes on uh, to tell us that she actually she actually grew up thinking Donald had single-handedly built the business and family name in the brand that it is today. Now, what burst that bubble, and I think it probably happened before, but this was until the New York Times article came out in 2018. That uncovered the vast amounts of fraud and illegality in the family. So basically, Fred was Donald's personal bank, and he was lending money to him left and right. I'm talking like hundreds of thousands a month, more sometimes um, in the millions. He's basically Donald's personal money store. So that's where we get this in this chapter. Now, Mary goes on to tell us about the prenup that Roy Cohen suggested Donald and Ivana sign uh, in 1976. Now, in this prenup, there is a $150,000 rainy day fund, Allison. A $150,000 rainy day fund. And Mary says this was 21 years of the 600 per month. Mary's mom got in the divorce. 21 years of her monthly divorce agreement. And what's interesting is both of these agreements were based on Fred's worth, not Donald's and not Freddie's, because all the money was coming from Fred. So we see again how, of course, the younger brother uh, was favored in this situation. So Ivana became part of the power core in the family, as Mary says, and at holidays, she sat with Donald near Fred in the middle of the table. This part is so telling in this chapter. And basically all the other kids were basically there, and I quote, to prop Donald up and defer to him as if no one was more important. Sound familiar, Allison? Yes. Yeah, a little bit. Those weird round tables. Mary actually explains that we see this. We see exactly, uh, it was Donald's chief of staff. That's what they're there for. So Kelly did it for a while until Donald got rid of him. And Mulvaney does it willingly with no spine in sight. Like it's just, it's really pathetic. Uh, Mary said that's how it worked for the sycophants. That's what I call them, sycophants, because they're <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> okay, the sycophants. That's what it worked for the sycophants. Uh, first, they remain silent. Then they make themselves complicit by not acting. And ultimately, they find that they are expendable when Donald needs a scapegoat. It was simpler for Rob and Marianne to toe the party line, which, of course, we see Republicans in Congress doing every single day. This guy has been doing this for decades. Now, the chapter bounces around a bit. At this point, we cut back to one of the Christmases where Mary was regifted a basket of goodies. Uh, and this is so funny because there's actually a place in the basket. You can tell something lived there next to the crackers and the salami, which was clearly caviar that had been taken out of this gift basket covered in cellophane because Ivana apparently has an affinity for it. Um, yeah, but what she remembers about this holiday is that Mary... Um, and I love Mary for this. She is a self-proclaimed nerd. It's one of my favorite things about her. She's no qualms about it. Well, Ivana had seen Mary's latest copy of Omni. 
sci-fi magazine. And Ivana said to her, I will introduce you to Pop Cucino, who is basically the, uh, the, uh, pub- the publisher of Omni. So when Mary was so excited, she went to call, tell her dad about this. Uh, the dad was like, I'm sorry, who? And she told her. And she, her dad goes, they want to introduce you to the publisher of Penthouse? So needless to say, Mary didn't think that was a good idea after that. Because uh, Fred obviously didn't either. But we see just like how sleazy Donald and Ivana and this has been for years. I mean, the, the yeah, whatever. All right. Then we shift back to the gifts from Mary's mom. And the reason I want to spend some time on these is we just get to see the propensity of this family and how they really start to treat Mary's mom. So when all the other kids were getting really nice things for the holidays, Mary received, Mary's mother received uh, re-gifts. Like there was a handbag with a used Kleenex in it from, from the, it's just, they're disgusting. And we also see in this chapter that Mary's mom uh, has become more and more of a shell of herself. Uh, There was a holiday where she had basically disappeared and Mary went to go find her and she was sitting in the kitchen just sort of in a, in a state and Mary just sat with her and supported her. But we see this happen. She's becoming a shell of herself as her husband grows more and more ill and the family's indifference to her becomes more clear. It kind of reminds me of that. Um, have you seen the movie American Beauty? Yeah. And you know when Captain Fitz, his wife is just sort of sitting in the dining room and, and staring off into nowhere. and Just staring, yeah. I'm so sorry. The house is such a mess. And like there's like just nothing there. Just not there. Yeah. And that's exactly what started to happen with Ari's mom. Uh, Mary tells us about Donald and Ivana's wedding at this point. You know, what's really funny in my notes. I put Donald and Ivanka's wedding and I feel like that typo is appropriate. (laughs) Freudian typos. (laughs) So yeah, whoopsie. So Mary's telling us about Donald and Ivana's wedding. Now Mary's dad wasn't there. And of course, Donald lied and told everyone, well, he wanted him to be there. He was going to be his best man. He was going to give the toast, which was filled by another family friend, uh, uh, but he had to stay back in Florida and take care of a family member, which wasn't true. None of that was true. Fred Sr. just didn't want him at the wedding. So he's already ostracized him from the family at this point. Now, there's an amusing anecdote in this chapter where Mary says, uh, as Donald was scouring the city for foreclosures after this, Mary was losing tens of thousands of dollars every week playing Monopoly. That's my favorite. <laughs> so she sucked at it. She sucks. She, she says it. She sucks at it. Mary literally says she thinks it was the great joke that the niece of a real estate tycoon sucks so badly at real estate. <laughs> and then she goes on to say, and I quote, it turns out Donald and I had something in common after all. <laughs> I'm telling you her wit. It's the sarcastic biting wit. It's one of the reasons I love her so much. Ah, so now at this point in the chapter, Mary makes just a very quick reference to her father's death because basically Donald and Fred said after he died that they wished that they had encouraged Freddie to keep flying. But the inference to this, it wasn't a compliment. It was an, it was it was an assumption that Freddie wasn't cut out for Trump management. And as Mary said, just like there was nothing to suggest Freddie lacked the skills, there was absolutely nothing to suggest that Donald had them. So for them to say that it was more of an insult than a support of their father. Now, around 1978, Mary's dad begins getting sicker and sicker uh, during this chapter, and he needs a surgery for his heart. So Fred is insistent that um, Mary's mom move him back up north to do the surgery in New York. He had to get a a valve put in, and uh, this is one of a lovely line, because they put in a pig valve into his heart. Mary's mom joked with Freddie, it's a good thing you're not kosher. There is such a lovely sense of humor in the side of the family that clearly doesn't exist in Donald at all. I know. My God. 
So uh, there was a long recovery from the surgery, and a year later he was doing much better, but he had started working for Fred again on the maintenance crew of Trump management, um, and he never stopped drinking, which is part of the problem. So this is the year, though, that Freddie joined them at Thanksgiving. And there's a scene where Gam starts choking at the table and everyone is unaffected. Allison, it's crazy. No one seems to notice to the point. Yeah, it's just a bunch. It's a household of narcissists in in this family. Freddie literally took her into the kitchen to save her from choking. And then when he returned to the dinner table, there was like a round of applause, like Freddie, as Mary said, had killed a mosquito, like something very minor. Oh, like sarcastic, like. "Mm." Yeah, like a golf clap, if you will, which is apropos. Yeah. Now, at this point, unfortunately, in the house, Donald, even though he didn't live there, he'd become a constant presence because his face was plastered all over magazines and articles, basically in the house, everything. And this, this basically came from the lawsuit. um, And all of those things that put him in the public eye where his father, Fred kept everything. So this is when the Grand Hyatt deal uh, comes into play that was only made possible because of Fred's relationships with the New York elites. However, the New York press betrayed the deal as if it was something Donald had accomplished single-handedly. Even the press was helping him out at this point in his life, which they still do. Mm -hmm. Even if they Mm -hmm. don't know it, they are still, they got him elected in 16. God forbid they don't do this again. Ah. So now beautiful hotel grand hyatt opens and freddie wants to throw mary's sweet 16 party there which is such a sweet sentiment donald agrees to do it which is shocking that he would agree to do that and this is what it kills me he offered him a discount yeah he offered him a discount his brother a discount to throw his niece's sweet 16 (laughs) party he's such a douche allison you can't just do it like for free there's a lot of that in this book like where where they're like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, we'll give you a good price on that apartment that I own. Or, you know, yeah. it's just so gross. So gross. In fact, you know what they, Mary says is that Fred was annoyed because he, at Freddie for even asking him to have the party at the hotel. He was chastised, basically saying Donald's too busy for this shit. So it turned out uh, after Freddie had stood up to him, she, he did get to throw the Sweet 16 party. Now at this point, and we can all imagine this scene, Donald walks in, he spreads his arms and he says, isn't this great? Everything is great. Look at this. Isn't it great? So he had no desire to be there for his niece. He just wanted to prop up the hotel the entire time. And it was noticeable because even Mary said when he left, her friends were like, what the hell was that? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, uh, I, you know I've had struggles with anxiety and, and post-traumatic stress, there is BetterHelp. They want to assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's an incredible service. It is licensed professional therapy done securely online. Uh, you can start communicating in under 48 hours with your, with your matched professional therapist. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. Uh, this is there's a broad range of experts available which might not be locally available in your area so that makes this wonderful and you can log in and have weekly phone sessions scheduled or video sessions and you can reach those experts from anywhere from the like the comfort of your own home even um, it's the services are available for clients worldwide you can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor and you get timely and thoughtful responses and it's, it's absolutely just one of the best services I've, I've ever used. And they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches at BetterHelp, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit betterhelp.com slash MSW book club. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, 
and you can join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for MSW Book Club listeners, you get 10% off your first month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash mswbookclub. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash mswbookclub. So in the summer of 1981, Marianne put Freddie into rehab. They needed to help, and they did. The problem is, when she picked him up a month later, she brought him right back to where he was living with his father in Gam. Uh, he relapsed the next day. He started drinking the next day. He had lost everything. Eventually, all he had was his parents, and they resented it. Freddie's very existence infuriated Fred. So... Unfortunately, uh, Fred had no ability to see beyond the circumstances he actually created. He created the situation. Uh, it was it was created off of the power he had, basically. Fred Fred did this. Um, after that summer, though, Mary announced uh, that she was going to go to boarding school. In the in the chapter, Mary said, "You know, it's all over these things about sports and scholastic and all of these things. How great this school is, uh, but it was basically she needed out. She needed to get away, and she wanted to do it quickly." So Freddie told Mary she needed to get permission from her grandfather, which was very weird uh, because basically the money was going to be coming from Freddie's trust. So it, it didn't even make sense that she had to ask her grandfather. But Mary and her mom went to see Fred. And of course, Fred didn't know why she want, would want to go away to boarding school. It was weird that she had to ask uh, her grandfather for the money because it was coming from Freddie's trust fund. Um, so at this point, Freddie stood up for her daughter, which is rare very rare in this family. Um, and then this is, this is where it starts to get a little more pulling on the heartstrings. The day before she left to boarding school, Mary went to see her grandparents to say goodbye to her dad, where he was living, as we know. Now she went around to the back and Gam answered the back door, but blocked her from going in, which is really interesting because Mary wanted to go in and, you know, do what she normally does. And Gam wouldn't let her. She said Freddie wasn't home which is really interesting because, of course, this confused Mary as she had agreed to say goodbye before she went to school. And she could actually hear a radio coming from her dad's room. So it's just a really sad, sad scene. Yeah. Um, Mary said, uh, basically told Gab, have dad call me. And um, she went to go hug her grandmother and it was stiff and cold. And it was there wasn't much there. And Mary rode her bike home and she says her dad never called. So we can all... Uh, we all, we all know what that means, but there's more that happens between now and then. At this point, we cut to Mary watching a movie at her new school. There's actually a very funny anecdote right here before we get into it, but apparently, A.G., uh, the school had went to like a movie night, and they went to go have a movie. All of a sudden, the projector stops, the lights go on, because the movie that they were supposed to have was accidentally replaced by a movie containing a very early rape scene. And it's this college that was not supposed to be in there. So the lights are up. The faculty's freaking out. What's interesting is during the chaos of this, Mary sees one of her teachers uh, walking toward her. Um, so this teacher is also a friend. Um, and Mary obviously was concerned. Uh, the teacher told her she needed to call home. And she did. First she called home. There was no answer. And then she called her grandparents and really didn't think that there was any sort of a problem at this point, especially when Gam answered, because she knew at this point that it wasn't Gam, which is great. Nowhere in her mind did she think it was her dad. Uh, Fred said that Mary's mom had just left. So Fred told Mary, your mom just left and she'd be home soon. Why don't you try and give her a call in a little bit? And um, basically told Mary that Freddie was taken to the hospital, but it was nothing to worry about. You know, sort of like COVID, it's, 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 it's nothing worse than the flu. Don't, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. 
Mary challenged him, and which never happened, uh, asking Fred if it was her dad's heart. And that just didn't happen in the family. Um, Fred got very cold and basically told her to go to sleep and call her mom in the morning. Mary immediately called her mom, and this time Mary answered. Mary's mother answered, and Mary's mom told her her father had had a heart attack, and Mary's dad had died. So this was September 26, 1981. Now she goes into saying, there's a little bit of back and forth in this chapter on the timeline. So Mary's telling us basically on September 26, 1981, someone called the ambulance. Now, the Trumps had given a tremendous amount of money to two of the major facilities in the area, and they could have gotten Freddie the best care. Just one phone call. No one ever made the phone call. The ambulance took Freddie to the hospital alone, and the info coming from the hospital made it clear that Freddie was going to die. No one went to see him. This is a pattern in this family, and I'm sure as you're listening to this, you know that this sounds very familiar. Donald and Elizabeth went to the movies as their brother was dying in the hospital. No surprise that Donald went golfing while Rob was dying in the hospital. It's a pattern. So Mary's father died that night at 9.20. He was 42 years old. I think it's sort of like um, insinuated that when Fred said everything was fine and to call your mom in the morning that Freddie had already died. Oh, absolutely. And Fred knew. In the chapter. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He did. It's just such an unfeeling family. It's, it's amazing as we both gotten to know Mary, how honestly, uh, even though she's going through hell with the rest of us, she's actually a really loving and empathic human being. Thank God. Now, as we continue on with the chapter, when Mary got home, the family had already gotten together to plan the funeral. Um, No one said much, as you can imagine. They later drove to the funeral home for a private viewing. Now, at this point, Mary asked Rob, her Uncle Rob, if he could see her dad's body. Rob said it was impossible. This is so infuriating. Mary just wanted to see her father. She didn't believe, she just couldn't believe he was dead. Like, she didn't know he was that sick. Um, but all she could express to Rob is I just want to see him and he wouldn't allow it. And at this point, Mary physically steps in front of him. Rob just walks around her and continues walking. Uh, as a feeling that the men in this family, uh, other than Freddie seem to be quite lacking of any sort of feeling, uh, at the wake, no one seemed to be affected by Freddie's death. Um, Mary wanted to make sure her dad was going to be cremated and Donald said he was going to be buried because Donald is a dick. And that sounds like something Donald would say just to be an asshole. Mm -hmm. Um, This is really interesting. The wake actually fell on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. Now, Freddie's friend, Stu, went to go pay his respects. This is so interesting because he he made the mistake of walking up to Fred at this point. And he looked, uh, he said to him, hey, Fred, it looks like the real estate uh, wasn't going so well and he hoped Donald was okay. He says, it sounds like he owes the bank lots of money. And all Fred said was, don't worry about Donald. He's going to be just fine. And I see everything that's happening. And I, you know, when uh, I'm just taking a little segue real quick, I know these chapters are long, but I talked to Mary after uh, RGB's death. And um, we were both like, why does everything fall in this guy's direction? Like, why does it always have to? And the saying, like, don't worry, everything's going to be just fine. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. Yeah, it is. So Mary goes on to say that her brother gave a nice eulogy, um, but he didn't, this was interesting, he didn't shy away from the realities of his dad being the black sheep in the family, and uh, it was nice. Mary actually was jealous of her brother in this moment because he dare spoke the truth to everyone that was listening. And as the wake drew to a close, people gave their respects, 
And this is when we see her Aunt Elizabeth basically lose it. Uh, no one had really seen this before. She literally crumbles to the side, bawling after a very long time when no one did anything. Finally, Donald and Robert went to help their sister up. So at this point, Mary goes to say goodbye to her dad. And um, it's interesting. She said, she said she became very embarrassed when she realized that she may not be talking to the correct end of the casket because obviously it was a closed casket. Closed casket. Um, so she just, she just walked away. I mean, we have to remember she was 16 years old at this time, you know, for someone to have to handle this. Um, but she made it very clear again. She wanted his ashes spread over the waters of the Atlantic Ocean and they did not want him buried. So Fred refused to have his ashes taken to Montauk, which, as we know, he was very upset about that place. He didn't like what it stood for. He didn't like that he spent time there. He didn't like the flying, any of it. So he refused to let that happen. And basically, they put the ashes into a box and they buried him in the ground, which is exactly what he did not want. And the other thing Mary mentions in this chapter right here is that the death certificate said he died of natural causes and the date on the death certificate wasn't even correct. It was huh. off by like two days. I think it was marked the 29th of September. Wow. So, yeah. So at this point in the chapter, uh, which is still, we're living in the, sort of the, the, the hardest parts right here, the house that Ma Mary says began to grow colder as Mary got older. And the first Thanksgiving after her dad died was incredibly weird. Um, right, Rob basically, <sighs> Ivanka at this point was a baby and she, he was there and Rob basically inferred that the birth of Ivanka had made up for the death of Mary's dad. God. And it was, I mean, yeah. Basically like in with the old, out with the new is what Mary said, that she just assumed Rob was trying to relay. And with no surprise, Fred and Donald seemed completely unaffected that Freddie wasn't there. And didn't and didn't he actually like gesture over to Ivanka's crib and say something like, Well, you know what they say or like something just awful. If that in with the oh yeah, yeah. It's it it it's I don't think I've ever witnessed a family with as little empathy as this that's, and I hate to include because I hate to include Mary and her father in that, even though they're part of the family because they, they're not like these other people. And it seems like Elizabeth has it somewhere in there. Anyway, when Mary and her brother went home for Christmas vacation, this is when things start to get very sticky. Uh, they met with the family lawyer to go over the details of her father's estate. Now, this is Irwin. So Mary was actually surprised that her father even had an estate because no one ever talked about it. She assumed her, her dad died penniless. Uh, the trusts were to be split between her and her brother. And at this point, uh, the trusts were managed by the lawyer, Marianne, Donald, and Robert. Now, Irwin was the call. So she had to call him to take care of everything. But Donald was in charge of signing the checks. We all know that this is not going to go well. So basically, the main goal for Mary was to make sure that her mother was taken care of, understandably. Now, the actual amount of money that her dad had wasn't clear um, because the trusts were incredible, incredibly complex. So even the amount of money she and her brother had was very unclear. Now, the other thing is that there was a massive tax burden that Irwin had started to tell them. And, uh, basically he pushed these papers across the table and the chapter ends with a lawyer asking them to sign. And Mary said she hadn't understood any of it. Yeah. By design, I'm sure. Absolutely. She's 16. We have to remember she's 16. Yeah. And it's just so like... And even a trustee is supposed to have your fiduciary, like, they're supposed to be act in good faith, you know, by law. I mean, 
you know, there's the same lawyers though, that like, you know, the divorce agreements and, you know, they, that they, 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 um, favored Donald and not Freddie. I mean, this has been going on forever with the family. It's all of the lawyers that are associated with the Trump family seem to be sketchy as shit. Yeah. I mean, even when everyone was alive, they were living in one bedroom apartments and studio apartments that leaked and made people sick and they couldn't get anything done and couldn't go to the hospitals that, you know, that had had massive donations made to them and were given discounts at, uh, at hotels for sweet 16s and shit like that. And it's just, it's so gross. It's it's bananas, like hundreds of millions of dollars that you would just throw at Donald to ride around in Cadillacs and, you know, be a hawk going in on people's foreclosed dream homes and, uh, and shit like that. Losers, as he calls them. And, right. and just throw that money. And then, uh, but, you know, everyone else, nope. And, and no one felt like they could even talk about it. And everyone felt like they were just, he didn't have any money and they were just sort of living paycheck to paycheck. They just happened to be Trump's. It's just the weirdest thing. It really is. I mean, this family of all, I'm like, holy crap. Like as this book goes on, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And and chapter nine, which I'll go over now, it gets into more of the business and the money part. It's called The Art of the Bailout. And it opens with Mary recalling the tabloid headlines that Mary Trump, Gam, had been mugged in 1991. Um, though it was more than a mugging, right? She was assaulted by this kid. The kid bashed her head against the car so hard that her brain had hemorrhaged and she fractured her pelvis when she hit the ground. Um, so she smashed her head, passed out, hit the ground, cracked her pelvis. And she was taken to the hospital. She was in grave condition in intensive care for a while. And the pain was uh, unbearable for weeks after that um, before, you know, she could start receiving visitors to just even not be in so much pain that she could you know, accept visitors. But once she stabilized, Mary did visit her every day. She visited Gam. And Donald stopped by one time on one of these visits, sat next to the bed, put his feet up on the side of the bed like an asshole. And uh, Gam told Donald, uh, oh, look, Mary's been stopping by every day. To which Donald replies immediately, must be nice to have so much free time. Uh I mean, there's 96 things wrong with that fucking statement. If anybody ever yeah. said that to me, <laughs> like in my presence, I would hit them. I would fucking hit them. Um, Gam just rolled her eyes, right? And Mary tried not to laugh. And then she asked Donald, you know, just polite small talk. How are the kids? And he didn't say much, just sort of rambled on about himself for like 10 minutes and then left, just left. And then Gam goes, somebody's cranky, which made Mary laugh. <laughs> and then, I mean, Gam had a sense of humor, too. I love it. I know. you. It's like, I don't know how, like, it, it's, it feels like anyone who had a sense of humor had to use it in order to just make it through this family. Um, yeah. And then Mary actually defended Donald because she's a human person with feelings and said, well, he's having a rough time right now, you know. And that's because one of his casinos, the Taj Mahal, had just declared bankruptcy and he got caught having an affair with Marla Maples, right? And the banks put him on an allowance, poor thing. Uh, and he had just tried to publish his second book, The Art of Survival, which you've never heard of because no one bought it. Um. <laughs> My favorite thing about... My favorite thing about the casino issue is the reason the Taj Mahal failed is because he built a casino next to it that was competing and taking all of its business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, it's he's just not he's just a moron. He's fucking stupid. And and they talk about that a little bit, but um, so 
Mary was like, I'll go easy on him. He's having a rough time, right? And Gam said, poor Donald. <laughs> and then talked about what an mm-hmm. asshole and a slob he was and what a dick he was. Now he never listened to anyone. And she said, Donald got away with murder when he was a kid. Um, and but by that time, Fred Sr. had just had a hip replacement and uh, his mental state started to deteriorate. Uh, and like the nurses would find him in the middle of the night trying to leave the house in his underwear, saying he was looking for his wife and couldn't find her. Oy. And Mary said, Gam seemed pretty happy not to be found. <laughs> 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 and this is where that that biting wit comes in that you're talking about, you know. Um the chapter shifts then to Donald's Manhattan projects and the Grand Hyatt, which you had mentioned in Chapter 8, and Trump Tower, which were built in 80 and 83, respectively. And as it turns out, uh, Trump Tower was riddled with issues, including mob ties and abysmal treatment of undocumented workers. And apparently, Donald had promised to preserve the Art Deco facade of the old Bonwith Teller building that he had to destroy in order to build Trump Tower. But when he found out that it would cost money to preserve those facades... He just destroyed them and declared they had no artistic value and said he knew better than the expert assessments. Oh, my God. He's been doing this. Uh, that that line, I know better than in generals. Mm-hmm. I know better than the scientists. Mm-hmm. And Mary says, quote, over time, that attitude that he knew better would become entrenched as his knowledge base has had decreased. His claims uh, to know everything have increased in direct proportion to his insecurity, which is where we are now. And you're right. He does. He says he knows better than the generals. I know better. Only I can fix it. I know mm. better than the FDA, the CDC, the HHS, intel- intelligence agency. Anything with letters. Trump knows. Donald knows better. <laughs> right. He probably doesn't know what any of that stands for, but he knows. None. But the list goes on, right? And so Donald decided to get his gaming license in 1982, though Fred was against it. He, didn't, he wasn't into the idea of casinos. And it was at that time, Marianne asked Donald to ask Roy Cohn to call in a favor. And she went from assistant district attorney in New Jersey to a judge in the U.S. District Court in New Jersey. And Donald then uh, bought Harrah's in 84 and Trump's Castle in 85 because it's super smart to buy casinos to compete with your other casinos. <laughs> like you Sorry said. I jumped on that one early, but it's just like, I mean, it was the point where I was like, God, he's such an idiot. I know. But like he thought that because Fred, you know, Fred, his dad was buying building and building and building in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. That, oh, hey, money times three. That's He can't think beyond anything. He just, do you know, he just doesn't, he, he can't play that kind of chess game in his head he just doesn't have that sense you know it's interesting too because in this whole casino deal and mary doesn't write about this in the book but those of us who fall in this is when he started to get in trouble with the law because he started to get in trouble with he knows exactly how campaign finance laws work because he was getting in trouble with campaign finance during this time by bribing politicians and stuff. So it's really interesting. Mary doesn't necessarily write about it, but if we follow his uh, career, that's why when he always says, oh, I didn't know that was illegal. Yeah, you did. Every single time you did. You totally did because you did it and were investigated for it. And, and you know, there's been a lot of mm, speculation out there as to why he's never gotten in trouble for all of the crimes that he's committed over the decades. And there are people, and I tend to agree with them, that say that he might have been a criminal informant. Ah, interesting. Um, and he might have a, f- a file uh, as being an informant for, for the feds for a long time. Um, but, we, you know, we'll see. Anyway, Donald, uh, in so he bought Harrah's in 84 in the castle, right? In 85. But 
Mary says, quote, by then, Donald's Ventures carried billions with a B in debt. And despite that, he bought Mar-a-Lago in 1988 and a $29 million yacht to boot the same year. Then in 89, he bought the Eastern Airlines shuttle for $365 million. And in 1990, he had to issue $700 million in junk bonds at 14% interest to finish the Taj Mahal because that's his smart business move, you know. Um, but Donald didn't understand and refused to learn that owning and running casinos were vastly different from owning and running rental properties in Brooklyn, from the business model and the market to the customer base and the calculus involved, because he couldn't see that glaring distinction. It was easy for him to believe that more was better in Atlantic City. So he's just dumb. He's just fucking dumb. <laughs> it is. It is just dumb. I mean, it, it's like it, owning a taco, you know, joint and opening up another taco joint next to it, not understanding why you're, you know, one of them's making half what it used to make. It, he's just not. As, <laughs> but your overheads double idiot. now, right? It's right. so fucking stupid. Now you're paying for two places, <laughs> and, and there's still only the same amount of people eating tacos in the area. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> and Mary couldn't figure out. Like Mary was like, why are the banks and investors fucking still lending to him why aren't they objecting but nobody said no to him you know like you said everything is going his way and by august um surviving at the top was published uh that's the one that became it became the art of survival and the timing um was enough to qualify as parody mary says (laughs) (laughs) because it was called surviving at the top oops the art of survival let's let's call it that instead um, and right around then, Donald had missed a $43 million payment on Trump's castle. And this is when his dad sent a driver to buy $3.15 million in chips with no intention of gambling with them. Uh, and Fred would eventually have to pay a $30,000 fine for violating the gaming rules for a gaming commission for unauthorized lending. But it was too late, right? The three casinos carried nearly $100 million in debt because they were cannibalizing each other's business. And that's when the banks put him on an allowance. That's the allowance that you talked about, the allowance I mentioned a minute ago, $450,000 a month. And he had to check in weekly with the banks to show he was trying to sell some of his crap, right? Like, sell the yacht, Donald. Okay. And then you never fucking sell the yacht. Uh, and they also agreed to cover his operating expenses at the casinos. Here's $450,000 a month. We'll cover your operating uh, things. Don't just stop doing stuff. Basically, I, you know, AG, I find myself an intelligent woman. I don't understand why the fuck Donald would be on an allowance from a bank in the first place. Like, what are they getting out of this? He's clearly losing money left and right. Uh, probably massive interests and then debt payoffs from pri- uh, like private hedge funds that are funded by Russia. Uh, but oh, my God, but, you know, that's all speculation. That's a different podcast yeah. <laughs> called The Daily Beans. You should check it out. Um, so... <laughs> But that, Mary says, quote, that's almost $5.5 million a year for failing miserably. <laughs> I mean, if I could just get half of that to fail miserably, I'd be very happy. I would take, like, there was a thing here in San Diego. We have the La Jolla. We have Seal Beach, right? Which is mm-hmm. where the seals yeah. spawn and shit and do their thing. Spawn? Fuck. I don't know. Whatever seals do. Doesn't sound like you like seals very much. I <laughs> love the seals and the seals deserve that beach. Right. But the, the La Hoyans, the very rich La Hoyans want that to be for their kids. 
right? Like, get the okay. seals off the beach. So for for decades now, just should humans and seals share the beach? Are we going to get rid of the seals? And eventually, the the somebody said, one of the mayor, I don't know, somebody, fucking King of La Jolla, was like, we've decided we're going to take the seals off the beach and give it to the people. And the contract for removing the seals from the beach was $1.6 million. And my friend Sonia and I said, dude, I bet we could do it for like a hundred grand. And so (laughs) we were like (laughs) saying like we could put together like a a business proposal and just pictures of her and I. And we would say, look, do you see any seals around us anywhere? We are so good at not having seals around (laughs) us that you should. And we'll do this for a hundred thousand dollars. So, Oh, my God. It reminds me of a kid's joke. Why do elephants paint their toenails red? Oh, to hide in the cherry tree? Yep. Have you ever seen an elephant in a cherry tree? No. It must be working. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love your punchline delivery. It must be working. <laughs> oh my god. I love kids jokes. I know. Me too. I do too. Uh, they make me laugh. Uh, yeah, like why did the bumblebee uh wear a yarmulke to the garden party? Why? He didn't want anyone to think he was a wasp. That's hilarious. <laughs> Okay, this is my favorite one because it gets funnier. I think it might get more funny as you drink, but I think it's just hilarious. Uh, This turtle got jumped by three snails, and when the cops asked him what happened, he goes, I don't know. It all happened so fast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just funny. Uh, You guys were sober, by the way. (laughs) Totally. 100%. I mean, not always, but like right now. (laughs) Not always. Hey everybody, it's AG for the MSW Book Club, and I love sleeping. Sleeping and reading the news are tied for my two most favorite activities, and I know we all have trouble sleeping from time to time. At first I thought I was losing sleep because I was reading the news, but as it turned out I had a mattress made for someone else. Helix Sleep to the Rescue. I got my Helix over a year ago, and I've had restful nights ever since. It's like sleeping on a cloud. It is the best mattress I've ever owned because it was made with my sleep preferences in mind. See, Helix has this online sleep quiz. It takes two minutes to take, and they use those answers to match you and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. I like a medium firm bed, and I sleep on my side, so they matched me with the Helix Midnight, and me and my Midnight have the best relationship ever. Helix even has mattresses with specialized cooling technology, if you and your family can never agree on the temperature of the thermostat. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews, and over a billion hours have been slept on Helix mattresses. So, if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order your mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't even need to go to the mattress store, which is awesome, because I don't like doing that. You lay on mattresses that a bunch of other people have been on. Ew. Just go to helixsleep.com slash book club. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash book club. Again, that's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash book club. So $5.5 million a year just to stop being an asshole. And uh, he Jeez. was in hundred millions of dollars of debt, $100 million of debt just in his casinos alone. But he kept spending. He spent $250,000 on a ring for Marla Maples. He put $10 million to Ivana for the for the divorce, right? Um, but the banks didn't flinch. And Donald's ego and the feeling he could do whatever the fuck he wants just ballooned, you know? Ugh. And it was around this time our intrepid author was attending Tufts University. At one point, she'd been robbed. And Gam gave her some money, right? Which prompted an angry phone call from Irwin yelling at her for asking Gam for money. And she's like, I didn't. 
I, I told Gam I was mugged. Gam just offered. And then Gam said, don't, don't ever turn down a gift of money. And Irwin warned Mary that Fred Sr. was watching her and thinking of disowning her. And he was pissed that he couldn't read the signature she endorsed checks with. So he, she had to change that and play, quote unquote, the game, whatever the fuck that means. The family was, she says, more like a bureaucracy than a family. And that kind of holds true with all the lack of emotions. And But even at work, like if somebody, <laughs> there's more emotions where I work than in this bureaucracy. but And there's not a lot yet. But it's at this point um, that we learned that Donald was Mary's trustee. And by now Donald was on his bank allowance and no one would lend any, him any money. Uh, but Donald blamed the economy, bad luck, and the banks. Never himself, right? He never blames himself for anything. Of course. Of course not. Roy Cohn taught him that. Um, never accept responsibility. Blame the other guy. Deny, deny, deny. Attack, attack, attack. And this is just like his dad blamed Steeplechase on Freddie. Right. So so Fred knew all of the games Donald was playing because he taught him how to play them. Lying, cheating, bribing politicians. Those were all legitimate business practices in Fred's eyes and became such in, in Donald's eyes, too. Quote, the most effective game for father and son was the shell game. While Fred kept churning out projects, he was fattening his wallet with taxpayer money by skimming off the top and allegedly committing so much tax fraud that his four children would continue to benefit from it for decades. While the rubes focused on the salacious details Donald kept generating for the tabloids, Fred was building a reputation for success based on bad loans, bad investments, and worse judgment. Um, but while Fred actually ran an income-generating business, Donald only had his ability to spin and his father's money to prop up an illusion, Mary says. So it, it got to a, a, the point where neither of them could face financial reality. Um, and, and Donald's belief that no matter what, he would be okay uh, was fortified, right? That was sort of shored up there. And that guaranteed Absolutely. Donald would never change because he didn't need to, right? And quote, it also yep. guaranteed a cascade of increasingly consequential failures that would ultimately render all of us collateral damage. Ugh. Jesus. And then next here in the chapter is the story of the, the codicil. Um, Donald approached his lawyer, Erwin Durbin, and his accountant, Jack Mitnick, Jack and Erwin Durbin, Durbin and Mitnick. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I know they all have horrible names, too. Anyway. Yeah, they're gross. And he wants, he, Donald wants to draft a codicil to Fred Sr.'s will that would put Donald, it's like, like an addendum, like an amendment, I guess. It would put, yeah. put Donald in total control of the estate when Fred died. And as much as I hate Fred Sr., these two assholes approached him with this like it was his idea and tried to get him to sign it. Uh, and, you know, he's falling into dementia but fred was having like a yeah. more of a lucid day that day got he didn't understand what was happening but he was pissed and he refused to sign it and gam told the other kids and and marianne had one of her husband's colleagues look at at this this codicil and donald's scheme just unraveled and it was then that oh, fred fred rewrote his entire will making all four siblings executors so donald tried to pull that shit on on he, his he, he overplayed his cards and i'm praying i'm praying he does that now you know what i mean either he gets to a point where he gets so greedy that he overplays his cards and someone says nah and and things fall apart i'm really hoping that somehow that happens with this it hasn't though right like he overplayed his cards withholding uh f funds to ukraine that were appropriated by congress against the law right and uh true and he was acquitted in the senate for that uh, like every the, the Mueller investigation, just hundreds and hundreds of pages of, of collusion. 
um, 11 accounts of obstruction of justice off the hook. Like he just keeps getting away with everything. And, and it's continuing in, in this in this presidency. And it's it's hard to watch. Um, and apparently at some point. Well, the chapter ends with a story about Donald hiring Mary to ghostwrite his next book, The Art of the Comeback. And this is one of those stories, Dana, again, this really highlights Mary's wit um, that you spoke about earlier. And apparently Trump got a letter uh, by from Tufts University asking for money. And Mary wrote it, right, um, asking for, mm-hmm. for money uh, for Tufts and, and called her up and said, um, you should ghostwrite my book. And first of all, told her about the letter. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm sorry they sent you that. That's rude. You know, like that was for alumnus, not you, just because you're my right. uncle. Sorry about that. He's like, no, this is great. It's a great letter. And I want you to ghostwrite my book. And she realized later why he liked the letter. It's because Mary was really gifted at making other people look really good. You know? So she got an office and a desk at Trump Tower and Trump Organization. One of the guys in the office said he would drop off, uh, or one of the guys in the office said he would drop off folders on of material that she could work with, right, on her desk. I'll just bring you folders of stuff and put it on your desk. Because she wasn't sure what the book was even supposed to be about outside the broad inference right. from, of the title, <laughs> The Comeback, right? Um, she said here, I haven't read, I hadn't read his other books, <laughs> but I understood a lot about them and told Donald that she wanted to return to the seriousness of the second book. Um, as she said about, quote, trying to explain how, under the most adverse circumstances, he had emerged from the depths, victorious and more successful than he'd ever been. Uh, he was about to file for his fourth bankruptcy, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, whose goal isn't for success to file by that time their fourth bankruptcy? It's only his fourth. There would be more to come. So he was still on there the will. Um, So she would stop by Trump's office every morning, Donald's office, and he'd usually be on a call saying something gross about women or talking about golf. Much excitement. And uh, he'd be looking through newspaper clippings about himself that people were paid to gather for him on a daily basis. So there, there was a meeting, there was a meeting, I'm sure, where Trump was like, every clipping, everything you find about me in the newspapers and the tabloids, bring it to me in a folder every morning on my desk at 8 a.m. Thank you. And then he would just sit and rifle through the folder of him. And then he would take a felt marker and write like what he thought to be witty comebacks. On, on these articles. This is kind of reminiscent of the, oh my God. of the hurricane map that he drew on. But uh, he would ask Mary, how, how awesome is this comment? Like, look at, look at my reply here. But like, so it's like Twitter, it's like sharing Twitter replies or subtweeting, but with articles and a felt tip pen. And she was struggling to come up with any substance for the book. Um, when Donald called her one night and said, Hey, I've written some things. I have a few pages. It's really good. <laughs> you should have it. I wish that she had saved and had printed and released to the general public because that would have been fucking magic. I wish it's. I wish it were somewhere. Um, what she got was a was ten typewritten pages, which was clearly a transcript that he paid someone to type out of a recording that he had made of himself, which was just an incoherent stream of consciousness. She said it was an aggrieved compendium of women he had expected to date, but who, having refused him, were suddenly the worst, ugliest, and fattest slobs he'd ever met. The biggest takeaways were that Madonna chewed gum in a way Donald found unattractive and Katarina Witt, German figure skater who had won two gold medals in four world championships, had big calves. I stopped asking him for an interview. (laughs) Oh, God. I know, I know. No one treats women better than I do. No one respects women more than I do. Gross. 
Uh, at one point, Donald asked how Mary's mom was doing because he hadn't seen her in four years because Ivana refused to go to the house if she was there. Um, and then he said, I think we made a big mistake continuing to support your mother. It might have been better if we'd cut her off after a couple of years and she had to stand on her own two feet. Trump said that to Mary about Mary's mom. Um, and Mary didn't know it at the time, but when Donald said that, he was getting the $450,000 allowance a month from the banks. From the banks. The banks. Not even working. Not even doing anything. No. From the banks. That has to be so hard to learn some shit and project back to the past to look at events through the lens of new information. It's just... Oh, infuriating. I No wonder she holds so much anger toward him. Yeah. It's like, like Dana get personal here for a second my my ex-husband who is now in a restraining order was abuse i had to flee he he was clandestinely recording me um and and would eventually like play sex tapes of me in public and my listeners know about this already but I, it occurred to me just recently that when he was recording everything that was happening in our bedroom he also was able to pick up all of my therapy sessions oh my god and it just occurred to me ag i'm so sorry that that violation yeah that's what this kind of shit reminds me of like just how you think back you know like if you lose somebody breaks in your car and steals your laptop i try not to think about how many jokes and things were on that laptop how many scripts and whatever you know sure. you just kind of block it out of your head um but yeah she didn't even realize at the time what when donald was like we should have cut your mother off that he was getting four hundred fifty thousand dollars a month from the bank that kind of that kind of retroactive realization just sucks you know painful yeah yeah um so at one point mary wanted to, mary went to mar-a-lago with donald thought she'd have something to write regarding the property you know and uh he arranged for her to meet with philip johnson the architect that as trump would say designed his portico share at the taj mahal Turns out what Donald was trying to say was porticocher, which is French for carport. <laughs> porticocher. <laughs> He's just so unrefined and tacky and nouveau riche. It's disgusting. Oh, God. Um, Donald and Mary flew down to Mar-a-Lago on his plane. Donald was like, what do you think? What do you think? Do you sound familiar? Like gesturing to yeah. the plane. It's, she's like, it's great, Donald. She goes, I knew the drill. It's great, Donald. Everything's great. And here's the thing. On the plane, people would bring Donald envelopes that he would open and then toss on the floor when he was done. And someone would come and pick them up and put them in the trash over and over and over again. And Mary had to move and turn around so, so she didn't have to see that. It, it upset her to watch him treat people like that. And when they got to Mar-a-Lago, she talks about how she was hanging out at the pool. She was in her bathing suit walking around because it's kind of like a, you know, the casual resort. And Donald said, wow, you're stacked. And, and added... Um, Mary says, unfortunately for the book, that was about the only interesting thing that happened during my entire visit to Palm Beach. But how she got embarrassed, she turned bright red. Like, how gross is that? He's a creep. He's a creep. I mean, you know, he, there, there's, you know, the news coming out that he was on one of the logs uh, to Jeffrey Epstein's island. We know this. He's a creep. He's a he's a he's a sexual predator. He's a creep, and he's he he's like this with his own daughter. Yeah, of every female in the family that's younger than him. Yeah, well, I would say if I if she weren't my daughter, I'd be dating her. Like, ugh. yeah. Who who? Uh, anyway, <laughs> they left Mar-a-Lago, went back to New York. Mary could tell Donald wasn't was was getting pretty sick of her asking for an interview, so instead he just gave her a list of names 
to speak with. She spoke to them. They were like casino presidents and shit. And they just gave very canned, shitty answers. She just didn't have anything to work with because there's nothing fucking there. And that's when Donald told her that the editor wanted to meet with her. And that's when they fired her. She went to lunch. They fired her. She pushed back a little. Uh, and the editor said, you can't, exp- you know, just, uh, it wasn't good. You can't expect to play Mozart, a Mozart concerto the first time you sit down at the piano. She says, as if I had just learned the alphabet the day before. <laughs> um, and she pushed, like, Donald Donald says he liked what I had so far. And that's when the editor said, Donald hasn't read any of it. And then Ugh. Mary says, uh, to end the chapter here, she says, I stopped at the office to clear out my desk. I wasn't upset. I didn't even mind that Donald had someone else fire me. He never fires people himself, right? Despite his depiction on The Apprentice. He had like Sessions fire McCabe. He had Comey fired over Twitter. He never fires anyone himself. He's too much of a coward. But she says, uh, even though he had someone else fire me, the project hit a wall. Besides, after all that time I had spent in his office, I still had no idea what he actually did. It's just unbelievable, too. And now that Mary's written her own book and she sold more copies in one day than the art of the deal sold in 29 years. Do you think Donald may have wanted to keep her on board to write this book? He might've sold some copies mm-hmm. or might've actually gotten, I mean, come on anything. Right. I just, I imagine you remember we talked in an earlier chapter about the house, the library in the house, which didn't have any books on the shelves. It was just pictures of Donald. I would just take so many yeah. copies of too much and never enough and just put them all <laughs> over the bookshelf. <laughs> like, I just sneak in one day and just do that and just sort of leave. Oh, when I interviewed Mary, she, I said, you know, and I mentioned the record it broke and she, I said, you know, it's got to be under Donald's skin. And she's like, I don't even think he knows about that. I don't think he, I don't think people, I think, I don't think people are allowing him to have that information. They're trying to keep him from it. I said, are you kidding me? He's researching the numbers day and night. He absolutely knows that your book has sold more in one day than his has in 29 years. And she started laughing. She goes, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, those are pretty heavy (sighs) chapters, man. Yeah, y'all get a palate cleanser, look at some kitten videos, whatever you need to do, but uh, two of the heavy, heavier chapters in the book, but just know we've got more, some more humorous lines coming up uh, in some, in some later chapters and Ugh, she's so funny, in, but you know what? It's, he's a fucked up man and it's a fucked up family. So this is the book we've gotten into. So just strap in because we're going to keep going. Next week. <laughs> it's like we're already, we're already on episode four. We got to, we got to keep going. We got to finish. But it's just such a compelling book, and it's so well-written, and it gives you so much insight into these through lines between how Donald was raised and, and how he's acting now. And and again, Mary is just such—she's just such a wonderful person, and her humor is stellar, and her, her fucking side-eye is so good. You know what I mean? It's so good. Uh, oh, with, the written, with the, the written pen to be able to written word and the pen to be able to put it and have it translate through a book. And you're like, oh, God, that was so good. That line was so good. (laughs) I can appreciate it. We can all appreciate it. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, thanks. This has been another installment. We will have episode five for you next time. We're going to do chapters 10, 11, and 12. So if you haven't read the book or you're reading along, that's what we're going to cover next week. And uh, it's been great. Uh, Any final thoughts on, on, I mean, great for you know, to speak with you and cover this incredible book, but boy, <laughs> You're like things are stellar. Uh, no, I mean, final thought, you know, we've, we've had a hell of a week. Um, and a week, two weeks now, and just take care of yourself, breathe, take care of each other. Um, I know that AG's gonna, uh, you're going to echo some of that, but, 
just remember what you can do, you know, keep phone banking, keep getting the word out, keep getting people, new voters out to vote and, and just try and try and keep some hope, try and keep some hope alive if you can. Absolutely. And until next week, until we talk to you again, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.